All right, I'm going to ask all the children to come and join me here in the front. We're going to find out what uh, mom and dad got, got them for Christmas. So if you all come down and join me, either right here on the steps or right here in front uh, on the floor so I can see you. I know that your parents want to see you, but I, in order to talk to you, I've got to be able to, to look at you. All right. Well, look at all the boys and girls coming during Christmas. Well, y'all are really special being here on Christmas Day. Did y'all open presents this morning? Anybody open presents? You did? Ah, you opened all of them <laughs> for everybody? What, what did you get? A big candy cane of gum. Ooh, okay. All right. What did you get? A karaoke machine. A karaoke machine. Woo! Well, I bet you you're you're the star there. That yes. What did you get? What did you get? Star Wars. Your Star Wars. Okay. All right. Okay. You got some stuff from a movie you watched. Okay. All right. Anybody else? What'd you get for Christmas? Yes. Um, something Arizona Something what? I'm sorry? Something Arizona Okay. And right. we'll go play in the morning. All right. I got a gumball machine. A gumball machine? Where, was there any gum in it? Wow, that's great. What? Anybody else? What'd you get? I got a DVD player. <laughs> a DVD player. Well, good. Well, that sounds kind of expensive. That's good. Roller coaster! You got a roller coaster? Well, that is expensive. <laughs> Which theme park did you get it from? Yeah. Okay. The toy shop. Okay. All right. What do y'all think that Jesus came to give us? What did you think Jesus came? Yes. His life. Okay. And what did he eventually? What What did he do after he became a grown-up? All right. That's right. He died on the cross. But it all began uh, that day in Bethlehem. And what I want to do <clears throat> is I just want to, as I normally do on uh, Christmas Day, I'd like to read uh, the Christmas story to you, just a few verses. And so uh, y'all listen up as I read this. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census each to his own city. Joseph, y'all remember him? Joseph, all right. Also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and she was with child. They were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then, of course, you remember the story of the uh, shepherds, because uh, we talked about that just last night. But at the end of this, it says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering. She was really thinking about them in her heart. What do all these things mean? And shepherds went back, giving, uh, glorifying God, praising God for what they had heard and seen, just as they'd been told. You know, Mary couldn't understand all what was going on at that time. That's why she was pondering. She was thinking through things in her mind. But one day she would be beneath the cross and look up at her son dying there for the sins of the world, for your sins as well as mine, and then she would understand it. Looking back, 
we can understand it. But it was difficult for her at that time. But it was a great time. It was a great day, just like today is a great day as well. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for these children that have come. Thank you, Lord, for their parents and grandparents that have brought them here today. And God, I pray that for each one of them, Lord, that as they grow, they would grow up uh, in church, worshiping you, learning about Jesus. And we would just be able to undergird uh, their parents uh, and their teaching at home about the gospel. And one day they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord if they haven't made that decision already. And we'll pray to this end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's wish everybody here a Merry Christmas. You want to? Can you yell that out? Ready? Merry Christmas. Now, what about y'all? Can y'all respond to that? All right. Go back to your seat. Oh, yeah. Well, here's a guy with a karaoke already. I mean, he's going. Okay. <laughs> Thank y'all for coming. You got a what? Rotron. A Rotron. Okay. All right. Well, great. I'm glad we got that one in. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. <clears throat> this is going to be a, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit difficult morning uh, for me because I only have one sermon to preach. Sometimes I preach two, sometimes three. And so you'll understand if, if this is about two hours long, you'll understand why. <laughs> now, I know that some of you are praying, God, make it short. Make it short. Okay. Well, <clears throat> these were short. But... Uh, we're just going to look into the Word of God. I, I want to, I do not want to get too heavy this morning, but at the same time, I want to make it worth your while to come, and God wants to make it worth your while to come, and so we do want to give you something from the Word of God that I think is very, very important for all of us to address this morning. So with that, Luke chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to be, also in Psalm 95. I'm going to start off in Psalm 95 and then move to the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 here in just a few moments. But let's right now bow for a word of prayer, shall we? And in the quietness of this moment, would you ask God right now to speak to your heart? And Father, we do ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our heart. God, we pray that through the preaching, proclamation of your word, that it would do something in our life. Do something that would cause us to be as excited about you as the children were about opening their presents this morning and yesterday. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at uh, finishing up our series of messages this morning on grace, the Christmas grace. And we're going to be talking about the grace of worship. Now, I know that when we think about worship, we think about coming together in a, a place like this. And we're going to hear the Bible preached. In fact, some of you don't even think about, when you think about worship, you don't think about biblical preaching. Rather, you think about singing. And so we're going to come together and pray some, and we're going to do a lot of singing, and that's what worship is all about. And for you, maybe the type of music, the, the size of the building, whether the building's full, whether it's kind of empty, all those things seem to matter to you. But in the Bible, it doesn't matter. That's not really how the Bible addresses worship. In fact, during the Christmas stories, maybe better than any other time, except maybe the resurrection, we find people excited about Jesus, excited about God. There's a spontaneous 
exuberant style, you might say, of worship. It, it was just out there. I mean, Mary, when she was, it was announced to her by the angel that she would be with child of the Holy Spirit, uh, she came up with a great song. And then when uh, Zacharias uh, uh, was told about John the Baptist being born, uh, he became excited about what was going on in his life. In fact, he really preached the first evangelistic message. And so we find the shepherds being excited in Luke chapter 2. We just read about that a few moments ago. Mary pondering these kind of things in her heart. And so when things happened in the scripture, we find that there was an excitement that went on in their life. And so often pastors will kind of guilt people into maybe coming to church, guilt people into coming on time. By the way, you need to come on time. And then <laughs> guilt people into standing up and singing instead of just kind of looking around. I mean, you're here, right? You might as well, you might as well give it a shot, you know, and even though uh, the people around you may be miserable listening to you, but here, here's the thing. It, it, that's the secret to, to loud music. To, to really, because when people hear you behind, behind you're, you're right in, in back of somebody singing, and you're really bad, what are they going to do? They're going to sing louder to drown you out. And they're going to be bad. And the row in front of them is starting, you know, it starts from the back and comes forward. So you have a big responsibility in the back row. That's all I've got to say. But we're looking at this, and in Psalm 95, it addresses the whole idea of worship and spontaneous worship and really what it means to our life. And then we're going we're gonna to examine it there. And then we're going to look at the example of the Magi. By the way, in, uh, on January 29th, I'm going to be starting a series of messages on the Psalms. And we'll be talking about that more uh, about it in the future. But here's what I want to do. On January 23rd, I want you to think about it. I want you to start reading in the Psalms, Psalm 1 through 7. And that Sunday, January 29th, I'm going to preach on one of those Psalms. The next week, you read 8 through 14. And that next Sunday, I'll be preaching on one of those Psalms until we get uh, through the book. And so one psalm for every, one sermon for every seven psalms. I'll be getting that on January the 29th. But first, I want us to look at the examination of this. Look in verse 1. It says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalm. This is a calling out of how we need to worship. Now, Tim Keller is uh, amply has a good definition of, you know, there's a lot of good definitions of worship, but here's a great one. The act of assigning supreme value to something in such a way that it engages the entire being. And so we're not just talking about singing. We're not just talking about preaching. We're not talking about praying, but rather there's, a, there's an assigned value. It's an act of I'm assigning value to something that is supreme, so supreme in my life that engages my entire being in that something that I'm worshiping. We can look and uh, understand the, the callings here uh, in, in the Bible. Look in verse 1. It says, let us, notice the plural form there. We'll come back to that in just a moment. He said, let us uh, sing for joy. Let us shout joyfully. This is about the, the, the emotions. He says, your, your emotions ought to worship. Then in verse 6, and we skip ahead, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This has to do with the will. The will, because I'm worshiping, I'm going to do something. I'm going to kneel. I'm going I'm to shout. I'm going to do something. My will is involved. And then in verse 8, we can see, do not harden your hearts as 
um, at, at Meribah in the day of Masa. That, that's the day that they, uh, in the Old Testament at Kadesh Barnea, they disobeyed the Lord and God was not pleased with them. But notice it says, when your fathers tested me, and it's talking here about the mind being involved, the heart. He says, uh, don't harden your hearts. And so the, the mind or the heart is involved, the will is involved, the emotions are involved. But I want you to notice how it's assigning value here. Look in verse 3, for the Lord. What are you shouting for? For the Lord. Look in verse 7. What are you kneeling for? For he is our God. They are assigning value to it. And, and I know that I've, I've gone over the, uh, the pearl of great price and the, and the treasure in the field. But uh, a true story, supposedly, about a, a woman who wore a brooch that was handed down from generation to generation. And she went to a jeweler and said, you know, there's a diamond right in the middle of the brooch. And I'm just wondering, I, I was just curious on how much the diamond was worth. And so the jeweler took it. He looked at it and put those, you know, I don't know what you call them, you know, one of those things where they look at it and all the facets of the diamond and, and they see what the blemishes are. And he became more, the more he looked at it, the more excited he became. And finally, he, he just, it looked like the little uh, um, eyeglass thing just dropped out of his eye onto the floor in amazement. And he said, this diamond is worth more than all the jewelry in my store put together. Well, he was excited about it because of what he had. He realized the value of what he had. What was the assigned value? The assigned value was whatever uh, the, the uh, jewel industry said it was worth, I'm sure, but there was assigned value. Now, the woman now, it changed her life because now she realizes what she's been wearing around her neck all those years. There's an assigned value here. Now, why is worship important? Somebody says, well, you know, I don't get into the worship as much. I like really reading the Bible, and I like doing the praying. You know, I'm, I'm more of a prayer word. Why is worship all that important? The reason that worship is important is because it's not that you're not worshiping something. We are always worshiping something. Something, we have assigned supreme value to something in our life. And so we are living for something. It's been said that whatever you're worshiping is really controlling your life. It's really what is, is calling the shots in your life. It's, it's the emotional shots. It's the, the things that you do in life. Everything around. We worship something. Now, I am not. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. And, uh, you know, this is not the time to get into critiquing movies or critiquing books. I've never seen one, but I've seen excerpts of things as they've been on TV and you start flipping around. There's one scene where I guess it's one of the first movies that, because he was young, but he's looking into a mirror, and the mirror is, uh, the, the mirror is, uh, is pronounced erased. I think that's right, erased. Now, this is a children's movie, you understand, and so all that is desire backwards, right? That's just spelled backwards. And so he's looking into the mirror of desire and has no idea what he's doing. Of course, this is all about magic, so he looks into the mirror, and he sees himself running and, and uh, playing with his parents. And his parents are there, and he's, he's exuberant. He's just so happy about it. And he says, wow, this, this is a magical mirror. So he goes and gets his, his friend Ron, and Ron comes and looks into the mirror, and he says, wow, look, I'm a sports champion. Man, I'm really something. 
And he says, no, 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 this is, this is your parents. He said, this is my parents. Can't you see my parents? He says, no, can't you see me being the sports champion? And they didn't understand it until, I guess, the mentor came up and looked into the mirror and said, oh, this is a magic mirror. And it's, it's a mirror of desire. And when you look into the mirror, you see what you desire most in life. In other words, if there's one thing, just like the prayer request, if there was one thing in your life that you want more than any other thing, you look into the mirror and that's what your desire is. That's what your supreme value is in your life. And so if you were to look into that kind of mirror today, if there was such a thing, as you look into that mirror, well, what do you see? What do you see? What is the desire the thing that you worship in life more than anything else. Because whatever you worship will control your life. And if we somehow, you say, well, Pastor, that really doesn't, I mean, the illustration is not that great because who looks into the mirror and sees himself in the arms of God or playing with God or um, uh, praying to God or reading the Bible? I mean, does anybody really do that? But listen to me very carefully. I believe that if you, you and I could do that, if that was the deepest desire of our heart, to have this great relationship with God, our life would be complete. That wouldn't be perfect. We'd still sin. But our life would have perfect peace. Our life would have perfect joy. None of this other stuff that comes uh, in between us and God and, worship, and, and our worship and who we assign value to will even be there. It'll just be out of the way. And now we can worship God completely. And because of that, we have complete joy and complete love and complete peace in our life. The problem is our worship is not perfect. It's just not. It's not something that as we embrace it, it is never going to be complete. But how then do we go about getting the most out of our worship that we can how can we go about assigning the value consistently to Jesus Christ in our life? Well, we see that in uh, the book of Matthew. And as we turn there in Matthew chapter 2, it's a very familiar story of the, the magi or the wise men. This about happens anywhere from six months to 20 months after the birth of Jesus. And uh, they're, they're talking about in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, bad news, bad news Herod, right? It was a horrible, horrible king, horrible person. The Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, the Magi were some people, there's a biblical background to this. They were astrologers, they were stargazers. But if you remember back in the book of Daniel in the 7th century, you can read in the Old Testament book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had advisors and magicians, but advisors that, uh, that advised him on the things of wisdom. And these were magi. This, came, this comes from the same group of people. And so you put, sort of put that into context and understand what's going on. It says, they came from the east saying, where is he who has been, been born of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now I want you to notice what happened. God revealed something to them and in turn they sought out to worship the king an object of their worship, an object of their adoration and what they were holding. They dropped everything in order to go and find this king. So I want to give you four things that you need in order to come to a place in your life 
where you're worshiping God, placing him first. Number one, you need community involvement. One of the things about Psalm 95, if I can just look back there, you don't have to look with me. But as I look back there in this book, it says in verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout joyfully. Let us come before his presence. Let us shout joyfully to him in the Psalms. Notice the Magi, we don't know how many they were. You say, well, there were three because there were three gifts. Well, that's not necessarily so. You know, they could have coupled up or something like that and gave him gifts. We don't know how many Magi there were, but they were plural. This is plural. And when the psalmist was crying out that we needed to open up our heart to God, he was doing so in a way and says, you need community in order to do that. A story is told, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories told about C.S. Lewis, and I'm sure many of them are even true. But uh, I think this one is, it came out of a, one of his books. But um, he had a group of people, and this, is, this part I know is, is right, uh, a group of people, three guys that met all the time, all during the week, and they're just good buddies, meet over uh, a lunch, and right there in, uh, in Oxford, and they would meet Ron and Charles and C.S. Lewis. And they would meet together, and they would, they would grapple with the deeper things as well as just having fun together, talking. Well, one of them um, died. One of them passed away. I believe it was Charles. And he thought to himself how horrible that was. It was a deep loss in his life. But he thought to himself, well, you know, as a consolation, Ron is a very, very intelligent man. And I think I'm going to get more of Ron. I don't have to share Ron with Charles anymore in our conversations. It'll just be us going back and forth. But he found that now that Charles was gone, he had less fellowship with Ron. It wasn't as deep as it was before because there were certain things in Ron's life that only Charles could bring out. And so when he lost Charles, he lost a lot of the fellowship with Ron. You see, you and I think to ourselves, well, and I've heard people say to this me, to me recently, well, I don't go to church anymore, but I'm still reading the Bible. You know, I'm going out maybe into the, to the brush or whatever. I'd be careful about that in Florida, by the way. But I'm going out into the brush, and I'm, I'm just meeting with God and God alone. And that's something that we have to do. Our personal relationship with God is so vitally, vitally important. But there's just so far that we can get with that without going out into the community in a church setting and getting things from other people. The Bible says not forsaking our own assembly together as in the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person sharpens another person. You and I are built to be together. And I've shared with you before the Trinity of God. How did God have an object of his love all down through eternity? After all, that's one of his attributes. He has to love, right? How did he love before he created man? And before probably he even created angels. How did he do that? What was the object of his love? He had an interpersonal relationship with himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That shows us there's community involved in the, even in the Trinity of God. And so God has called us out. Not just simply watch television, though when you're at home, that's what you ought to do. If, if uh, you, you can't get out, if you're, if you're bedridden, if you're shut in, this is an opportunity for you to watch it through our, on our television, on TV 45. Which, by the way, let me just say that we were going to go off the air because of the live broadcast that was coming and the extra cost involved in that live broadcast. But TV 45 has agreed to, to waive that. We're going to do it a week delayed. That's the bad news, but the good news is we're staying on. And uh, they're doing this for practically nothing, okay? And so 
That's $100,000 worth of TV time for $6,000. I think that's a pretty good deal, don't you think, for the whole year? I think so. And so we praise God for that. We praise God for our new Facebook Live and our, our live streaming. All these things are supplementing the times when you want something from the Word of God and you need something from the Word of God. You need to be challenged. You need the encouragement. But you have to have some sort of community if you're going to be all that God wants you to be. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Number two is that you need to have a revelation in your life that is given. Notice in this passage that in verse 1, the Magi arrive, verse 2, he says, we saw his star in the east. The star is light. And light in the Bible is a symbol of revelation. A symbol of God revealing himself to us. Now, in Psalm 95, again, let me just read a couple of verses here. It says, for the Lord is the great and great king above all gods. How do you know he's great? In whose hand are the depths of earth, the peaks of the mountains. How, how do you know that he's like the peaks of the mountains? The sea is his. How do you know that? How do you know it? You know it because of revelation. You know it because the Bible teaches us about God. You know, people have said, well, I don't believe in a, in a vengeful God, a wrathful God. I don't believe in a judging God. I believe in a loving God. Where do you get that concept? Because no other religion of the world teaches a loving God except for Christianity. And the only book that really teaches it with authority is the Bible. And so we get our revelation from the Word of God. And because of that, it changes our life. We have a living Christ that lives and breathes in his knowledge through the Bible. Now, here's the problem. Somebody says, well, I believe in just a loving God. I believe in just this time of, time of God. Or I, I, I don't believe in that passage of the Bible. I believe it's reinterpreted in another way. And you have to look at culture. And then as you look at culture, then you interpret the Bible. Somebody else says, well, I have my own personal feelings about the Bible. Well, there's two problems to that. Number one, listen to me very carefully. When you worship a God like that, you're not worshiping the Bible's God. You're worshiping your own God. You have something else up on the throne. And I'm about to say something very vital to you, okay? And that is this. You will never have a God that will improve your life. Because that God can never push back on you. He never can disagree with you. You know, anytime you look in the Bible and says, oh, you know, I, I don't believe that passage, then you change it. There's a God, it's like, you know, it's like a, a parent or a guardian or a boss that never says anything, oh, just do whatever you want to do. You can never improve that person's life. Why? Because there's no pushback. There's no, there's no correction involved. And so when you worship a God out of your own image, there's no way that your God can ever improve your life. But secondly... There, there's isolation involved. Here's what's happening. We're meeting here today. Uh, we're a Baptist church, and we have evangelical doctrine. I, I, I don't know if you even understand. We, we, have, we have biblical doctrine. That's the best way to put it. And we're, we're gathered here together because we believe basically the same things on the major issues. If you have a God of your own, then nobody has a common God with you. There's no one that you can worship with. There's no community that you can have in, in, uh, in your life because you have an isolated version of your own personal God. 
And so when you don't have the revelation of God going on in your life and believing the Word of God, there's no commonality. Therefore, you will find it very, very impossible to find a church that agrees with you because it's your own personal belief. And therefore, you become isolated and cannot become the person that God wants you to be. Here we find that we need a revelation from God. We need to hear from God. We need the engrafted word where the Bible says is able to save our souls. Now, you and I, you and I cannot, cannot really dictate where the Spirit's going to go. John 3 says that. He can, he can blow in one direction, and all of a sudden now you, you have the word of God in your heart, and it's exuberant worship. Sometimes you feel like you're going through dry times. But the Christian is like a sailor. A sailor is out on the sea, and he can't control the wind. He doesn't know when the wind's going to come. But when it does come, he knows what to do. He knows what kind of sail to put up and how to, how to cut the sail and how to turn the sail. He knows how to use the wind. And we know that by studying God's Word, by being prayed up. In fact, everyone here, wherever, in fact, wherever you go to church, you always, always go to a Bible-preaching church, even when you're on the road. But when you go and you think to yourself, I don't know if this guy's got anything to say to me or not, then he won't. Do you know how difficult it is for someone, and I'm just not talking about me, but pastors to go into a church and hear somebody else preach? You say, yeah, because, you know, they're so antsy they can't stay still. No, that's just me. That's not everybody, okay? You know, I have to take notes. But we've been to seminary. We've studied the Bible. We've studied theology. And for someone to be maybe on, on our level, he's not maybe on everybody else's level. And so we're looking and say, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, okay, I've heard that one too. He just says it in a different way. I've heard that too. What do you do? Every time I go into a church, and uh, I may not do this right off the bat, but before he preaches the message, I say, God, I'm here. There's a reason I'm here. I know I'm kind of critiquing everything and say what we can do and learn from this. But, God, I just want to hear from your word today. That's the only way that we can do it. That's the only way that I can hear, but that's the only way you can hear. Can you imagine if you did that and, and hear you, two people are hearing the same message, same sermon, and one person just goes out without a life change, but one person is saying, God, I'm willing to open myself up and open up my heart to the engrafted word. God, I need to know something. I need to know you better. I need to know something. I need to know the revelation of God, the light shining upon my life. You're going to go out, go out of this room exuberant knowing that God, the God of eternity, has spoken to you. He's spoken to your heart. And brethren, that means something. That means something. It means something when the Holy Spirit of God draws you to repentance, as we talked about last night, that he would consider you so valuable to die on the cross for you and then reveal that truth to you. And every time you come, every time you open up God's word, every time, certainly when you come to church and you open up your heart and worship and you say, oh God, give me something from the word, then, then worship really, really occurs. Because thirdly, you need to express the worship. We see a community involvement. We see the word of God revealed in light to our heart. But then we see a worship expression. It says in verse 2, they came to worship him. And then you know the story. They, they gathered in Bethlehem. They told Herod all about it. Herod began to scheme then to, uh, 
to uh, kill the baby Jesus, find some way to kill him. And then finally in verse 11 or verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were worshiping. They were worshiping the Lord. We can find this all throughout the scripture where the word of God was revealed and then the worship occurred. And it doesn't make a difference, really that much of a difference, folks, on the size of the building, the temperature of the air, or the style of music. It's not about the music. It's about you and the Lord and you looking into that mirror and saying, God, I'm placing you first. I'm placing you on the throne of my life and I want to learn something from you and then I want to turn it around toward you and say, God, wow, you taught me something great today. It's just great. You're a great God. You are on the peaks of the mountains. You're the depths of the sea and you're everywhere. It's not just a matter of the style of music, the particular song. And some of you, you know, even when you like hymns, there's certain hymns you like, certain hymns you don't. No, it's just a matter of opening up your heart to God and praising God. And by the way, there's no agenda here. I'm preaching the word. There's no agenda. We're not changing styles of music. I'm not getting you prepared for anything. All right? Just so we don't have more speculation. We're going to have somebody, by the way, visit in January, at least one person, visit our, our church sometime during the uh, month of January, I can't tell you when, and uh, as they visit, they could be a prospective uh, worship leader. And, and folks, I'm just telling you that in advance because I think if I were a worship leader, I would want to see people here on time and worshiping, opening up their heart to God. That's what I think. That's just my opinion. But then I want you to notice the last thing, and that is a heart changed. Look at verse 11. And after coming into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother and fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Their life was changed. They, they begin to give and they begin to obey. Notice the gold. That's a sign of royalty. Frankincense, perfume or divinity. It's a sign of God's, uh, Jesus was divine. Myrrh is, a, is used for embalming, uh, substituting death of Christ. The cross here is prophesied even in these verses. But practically speaking, these verses are here to let you know something very, very important and precious. And that is God provided for Mary and Joseph. If we will read on and begin in verse 13, they had a flight to Egypt. Why? Because Herod had threatened and carried out his threat to kill every baby boy less than two years old. And so they had to uh, flee to Egypt. They were poor. They didn't even live paycheck to paycheck, more like meal to meal. They were poor. They had no money. How were they going to get to Egypt? How were they going to live in a foreign country for two years? They lived there because of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. God provided for them. But notice that worship of the Magi resulted in a giving heart. You're never more like God than when you give. And it's more than just giving your money, though it does mean that, and that's what uh, this ver these verses are talking about. It's giving of your service. It's giving of your time. It's giving of your life. I think, I, I think that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 really caps captures what we're talking about here. And it's not going to be up on your screen because right now I'm off the cuff. All right. And that is this. When the two ladies begin to fight in church, 
they came and Paul challenged them and said, everybody's kind of dividing up between these two ladies. He says this, you prefer one another over yourself. Wow, doesn't that not say it all? When I'm worshiping God, when I look into the mirror and I see Jesus Christ ministering to me and me ministering in the name of Jesus and me and you and I sharing our faith in Jesus Christ and reading the Bible, excuse me, reading the Bible down on our knees. When we see all those things, we see a heart that says, I prefer my neighbor and his feelings and his needs even over myself. That's a life-changed heart. Wow, what would that be like in a church, in a church where people would say things like, uh, you know, the young people would say, well, I think we maybe ought to sing all hymns because, you know, that, that is the heritage and we love our senior adults and older people and some of the younger people that like those. Let's just do that. And somebody else says, oh, no, no, no. No, we, the older people says, no, we need to sing um, the hip-hop tunes. And <laughs> that's not really what it is. No, we don't want, we don't want that. Um, we need to sing that, that young people's music because that's how we're going to reach young people. I prefer that. Man, I could go buy an album by, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Merle Haggard or something on hymns and, uh, if, at, at Cracker Barrel or something. No, I prefer, maybe it's not Merle Haggard, but it's one of those people. And I prefer something else. Oh, yeah, I could go out and buy something. But, you know, there's a need over here. I prefer to meet that need. Yeah, I would rather watch a football game. I'd rather do something else, but this is Saturday and my class is going out to serve. I'm gonna, I prefer to serve. How does that come without guilt? It comes without guilt because God has done something in your life. You know, all we're talking about is just another weight on you, another, another load for you to bear without grace. And that's why... Sums up in Psalm 95, therefore I swore in my anger, surely they shall not enter into my rest. And what a way to end, uh, to end a psalm that's otherwise kind of encouraging, really. He ended it this way by saying this, and the writer of Hebrews grabbed hold of this and made a couple of chapters out of it and said, we don't enter into his rest, his abiding rest. And that soul's rest that it's talking about here in Psalms is the salvation of grace. He says, in order for you and I to look at this whole idea of worship and uninhibited worship and not worrying about what everybody else is going to think. Why? Well, we're doing it together. We're listening to the Word of God, and the Word of God is firing our heart because we want it to. We, we're seeking for God to speak, and when He speaks, it's like that young child opening up the presents on Christmas morning. Man, just unwrapping is just as exciting as getting the gift. And some of you have experienced that this morning. There's one in every family. I know that. You've experienced that. It's just so exciting. And you look up to heaven and say, God, I'm just opening up my heart. I'm so thankful. I praise you. Well, there's no one like you. And boy, we get, folks, we get to that point where we look in that mirror. And the greatest desires of our heart are to see that God is glorified in our life. Through community, receiving the word, expressing our worship. And then finally, a changed life by saying, I prefer others even above myself. So when we look in the mirror, folks, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? What is the desire of your heart?
And what should it be? Again, no load. It's all grace. And if you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart, that begins that soul rest right there. It begins, you begin to tear down all the desires that are standing in between you and God by simply receiving him into your heart. Can I pray with you this morning? Can I pray with you and, and not only pray for every Christian here, but first pray for those that need the Lord this morning, this Christmas morning. Let's pray together. In the quietness of this moment, if that's the prayer of your heart, to know the Lord, to truly know him, to receive him as Savior and Lord and follow him, would you pray this prayer with me right now silently as I pray aloud? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. Lord, I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be. Help me to worship you. Place you first so I can have that peace, hope, love, and joy in my heart. In Jesus' name. Father, we continue to call on your name. We pray for everyone here as we, we begin a new year in just a few days. I pray, God, that we would complete, we could continue to celebrate Christmas. And every time, Lord, we have selfish motives and selfish hearts, we would look into the mirror and see the evil desires in our heart. And we would come to you and say, God, I need to meet with your people. God, I, I need that iron sharpening me. God, I need to hear from your word. God, would you speak to me? Would you change my heart? I pray that'll be the prayer of our heart for 2017. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. This is the invitation. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ this morning, I want you to come and take one of these pastors by the hand and just simply say to them, I prayed that prayer with the pastor, and we're going to share with you how you can grow as a believer in Christ. And then if you're here this morning and just say, you know, that's, that's my prayer for 2017. You know, I want to be able to look in the mirror, and I want to see every day me seeking the Lord more and more and living that unselfish life because I've opened up my heart to the Word of God and worship, and I'm committed to the body of Jesus Christ and meeting with them. The altar is open. You, you feel free to come. And let's close out this year opening up the new year in the right way. Let's sing together.